Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Outtake episode was on with Jeremy Lee. About an hour and 15 minutes of my time on there. A lot of great questions from Jeremy as well as his uh, live audience. This is uh, 14 minutes worth of things that I hadn't covered otherwise. Thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, and ComC.com. So thanks, everybody. Here's the outtake episode with Jeremy. And thanks, Jeremy, for having me on. And thanks, callers, for your great questions. Any certain sets? You collect all the top sets from the 50s, the 60s, that kind of summary. No, I, I already did all that stuff. Now, when I look in the boxes I'm going through, I'm going to pick out a few that I can just resell and pay for the rest of them. But the ones I'm going to have uh, some local interest or that I can eventually consider putting up on my wall of fame. I want to have a display for people to come over. And maybe one of these days you will, but I want to have something for everybody, for an advanced collector as well as somebody that's interested in the local heroes. So I've got a thousand spaces to work with. And as Adam Gray, our, our buddy, does, I'm going to be winnowing and reducing. He's got a top hundred. I'm going to have a top thousand. But I'm not really finding things in the top hundred. I'm not buying expensive cards. I'm buying really good cards of bad players. <laughs> if you look at a dollar box, you find either really good cards of not so good players or bad cards of good players. <laughs> I don't need any bad cards of good players. But low supply, low demand is what I look at. I'm a very patient seller. Someone made the comment that they felt like the national was really for pros in the hobby. And that if you're not a pro, you might be out of place there. At the end of the day, it's a card and sports memorabilia show. It's meant for collectors to go to, whether you're introvert, extrovert, high end, low end, mid end, there's something for everybody. You made an interesting follow-up comment. I think everybody thinks they're a pro. When you are a highly touted high school basketball player, you want to go straight to the NBA and a few people can do that. So. I think in this industry, people think they can go from high school to the NBA. So real beginners, part of that might be because they're taking in and consuming so much content. They feel like maybe they have some insights, which, and perhaps they do have insights. They have the insights that have been given to them. I've made this distinction. Too many of the influencers tell them what to think instead of how to think takes a lot longer. That's a real education. But learning some facts and having some specialization in one player or one type of card, you can get up to speed pretty quickly with a short list. But the broad understanding takes a while. I feel like a lot of the hobby has gotten smarter over the last six months. What I mean by that is in terms of what a lot of content creators are saying now is collect what you like. Buy the card, not the grade. Make sure it resonates with you. Make sure you're going to want to look at these cards five, ten years from now instead of Buy it today, it's going to be worth triple in two months. I'm hearing more of those kind of collector-focused comments than I from last fall to early spring sort of thing. It really it proves that people who've been in the hobby for quite some time, like the esteemed Dr. Beckett right there, have a lot to add to, to a lot of us newer people, a lot of us younger people and newer people in the hobby. And the insights that he shared right then and there at the beginning of January, and don't forget, that was even before we saw the extreme rises that happened at the end of at the end of that at the end of that month. So he was even early early on that foresight. It made when I went back and looked at it, I thought, wow, yeah, that we 
the fear of missing out is a hindsight. The fear of missing out on selling is a hindsight fear, FOMO. Whereas the fear of missing out on something that could go up in value in the future is, is a foresight or it happens earlier in the process. Any comments on that? If you're a professional investor, you understand things go up, things go down. And so you're not going to bail out of the whole market. You're going to think, well, I, I was in the wrong sector or I need to uh, reallocate in some way. Hopefully people are learning from, and it's not necessarily a mistake as much as they might be too highly concentrated in one sport or one player, because not everything went up and not everything went down. It's so easy to get a partial education now that you can get up to speed in a very narrow way. But to get a fuller education, like a liberal arts education, where you know how to think, it takes a little bit longer. Hopefully people are going to stay for the duration and enjoy and understand if they balance out these fees. That's like any other market. It's, baseball cards aren't going to be that much different. Hockey cards. But so many people were so highly concentrated in basketball. There are no sure things in life. No, I think if you have a gut instinct, a gut feel, maybe you just need to act on it. And if people had that gut feel to sell in February, March, and obviously some did because the people who were buying had to buy them from somebody. Some of the smartest investors have, have been the ones that when everybody's buying, they sell. And when everybody's selling, they buy. That was not what was happening in our industry last year. Yeah, it was a, a lot of exuberance, as you said. How do you think content creators and data tools have shortened the learning curve for those recently returning to the hobby? It's shortened the learning curve for knowledge, but not for wisdom. You can accumulate yeah. knowledge and, and you can look things up really quickly and you get a pretty good understanding within some finite amount of stuff. But the breadth of knowledge that Rich Klein has, that just doesn't come instantly. And you have, Jeremy. And that's, that's the wisdom that allows you to interpret the data and not just take it at face value. Do you wish you were still at the head of Beckett today? Maybe a little bit? I don't think even a little bit. I miss the guys. And if we could reassemble our dream team, that would be a lot of fun in a fantasy sense. But no, I don't think so. I've been gone a long time and I want to be helpful. I, I met with Jeremy the other day. Jeremy Murray, he's got a tough job and he's doing an excellent job, but it's very difficult. I'm a pro bono consultant now, and I, I love doing that. And that means it, after I give advice or weigh in on something, the monkey is never on my back. I'm trying to be helpful to others. No, and you're very gracious with your time. Any uh, booth selling stories from you, or you've mostly been buying at shows? Yeah, I didn't sell cards for decades because I bought and sold cards in the 70s, the very early 80s. But once the magazine got going, it didn't seem right. So we had a conflict of interest about doing that. And then since I've sold the company, I've got enough cards. but. Over the years, especially in the 70s, I bought out tables and dealers, not at the National because I was flying most of the time. So when I'd drive to a show, you could buy somebody's table. And back in the 70s, if you bought out somebody's table, it wasn't as much money and, it, and you could fit it in your trunk. Now you'd need a semi. To be able to think that you're a pro is part of the allure of the hobby. When you get in, you think, this is really easy. I buy low and I sell high, and I just read the sports page, and I find out who the great players and who's gonna who's in season and all that stuff. And they think it's really simple. If they persevere, like I said, that's part of the knowledge they pick up. They're going to have a few hard knocks to see it's more complicated than that. And if they hang in there, then they're going to develop some wisdom. Over the years, they're going to have a lifetime positive experience. But that first year, don't tell them they're going to make mistakes, but they're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Content creators that I enjoy are just open and honest because if they have an audience of new entrants into the hobby, 
that they're sharing that you might make mistakes. It's okay. It's like training for anything. Try to minimize, mitigate your exposure to financial loss based on mistakes and inexperience. But you just have to expect to, to make some early on. The mistake is not like a mistake in if you're playing fantasy sports or your sports gambling, your mistake is you just lost money. A fantasy, you had the experience. If you're in a group, you had that enjoyment. With cards, even your losers have value. They have less value than you thought. You've got a collection. Yeah. Fair. So what makes a card worthy of making your wall of cards or a collection? There's backstock. So it's not just that, but I am taking inspiration from Adam that I think once I, I have the wall, the, this wall is the iteration from five years ago. I've been getting some more cards graded. The problem is to, to pull one card. Oh, who did this? Mike Moynihan. Remember when Mike Moynihan had his beast? Yes. And he decided to add some cards to it. He realized he had to take all the cards out. In order to put in the ones that he wanted to put in. I'm faced that with that same aspects. In order to put in a few cards, I'm waiting until I get this next submission back from BGS as a number of cards that go on the wall, and then I'll pop them out and put them in because they're all completely alphabetized regardless of sport. So it's all sports mixed in. What do you think about rugby or cricket cards? Superstars of the sport have to be household names. When something takes off in the hobby, it's not just the Lewis Hamiltons. It's that next rank of almost goats. I think you have to know the sport. If you only know one or two people in rugby or cricket, it's not ripe. But if people start following it and they understand the pecking order of stars, then it's possible in the future because the world is shrinking. They're not really American sports. They're global sports. The, the answer is not just buy sealed wax and keep it sealed. You can still make money on that. But ultimately, somebody's got to o open the Formula One or the soccer. And it's just not a healthy hobby if you can only sell the best card out of the box and the rest of the stuff you leave on the counter. There needs to be a robust, broader interest. And when that happens, yeah, cricket and rugby could come on. There's hundreds of millions of people interested in those sports. We just need to get them turned on to also being interested in cardboard. Then really can't lose at that point. If Jim had to do it over again, would he have changed anything at all regarding the BCCG grading service and quality of the slab labels? Statute of limitations. The quality of the slabs and the labels were intentionally, I won't use the word inferior, except in the way it is in the dictionary. It was intended to be less than the full service offering. So the slabs are not as nice. The labels are not as nice. That was part of the distinction of that lower price service. And it was a market distinction that really worked for the customers of that service. But it's been confusing with the end consumer. What sort of advice does Dr. Beckett have for collectors regarding the future of the hobby? I'm hoping they're going to think about the bright future and aspire to lean into it. I think the more you put in, the more you get out. That's not necessarily money. But if you form some friendships spend some time, collect what you like. I don't see how you can go wrong with that. Do you think the hobby will continue to grow over the next five to 10 years? Have you ever read The Secret? It's the book that says you can't achieve what you don't believe. It's been misused and exaggerated, but I believe it's going to grow over the next five to 10 years. And if, if enough people believe that, de facto, it does grow. So there's plenty of positive publicity. There's more and more people coming in. It's our job to continue that positive attitude. And so I'm acting as if. It's not fake it till you make it, but it's acting as if I believe the hobby is going to continue to grow. Now, prices may be stagnant, and that's not a deal killer. But I think the hobby is going to grow, 
and I'm going to work toward that growth. So rather than predicting it, I'm going to try to help make it happen. So that's my best answer. Yeah, it's a great answer. And me too, Jim. I, it's, but it's just, that's just who, who I am. I think it's who you are. It's not like you're, you're even. You're doing your part. If everybody does a little part to help it grow, I, I like the future. Way too much big money has come in for it to just fade away. But I don't think that the too much money coming in is what the hobby needs to, to be around. The hobby needs passionate collectors. There's been passionate collectors since the early 1900s, probably earlier as well. So the big money just makes it mainstream. It just grows the hobby. But the hobby is going to be around. As long as there are people, there are going to be collectors. As long as there are sports, there are going to be cards. Do you recall where you were when uh, Roberto Clemente passed away tragically? I know exactly where I was at my parents' house. And it was New Year's Eve in the evening. Wasn't that late because I was in California and this happened in the Eastern time zone. And I was just in shock. It broke on to the news. And there was hope at the beginning that maybe he would survive the crash because not much was known. There weren't omnipresent cameras all the pl- over the place. It was devastating because he wasn't old. He was toward the end of his career, but it epitomized his life. He was a giver and, and misunderstood. And so to have a confusing but giving death, I, I just was in a little bit of a shock and a funk. Didn't know him personally, but it was the end of an era. So I was standing in my parents' dining room, breakfast room in California. How did you feel? I felt sad. I was uh, collecting at that point, and he had been my favorite player, but I, I don't know. It didn't make me redouble any efforts or turn my back on anything. This is a guy not fully appreciated for his skill. He, he was English second language guy. So he, he's a worthy hero. I, I, I think a lot of Kobe fans, Laker fans, basketball fans had similar feelings at the time. What are your thoughts on all of these card brands, parallels, and the high print runs? The... Leagues have one a sole provider to make that Panini's problem for basketball, Upper Deck's problem for hockey, Top's problem for baseball, because they need to manage their sport. All those things fall in the purview of them, I think, not killing a golden goose. Too many brands, too many parallels. Actually, some people think there couldn't be too many parallels, but I think there could be too many. And the high print runs, if there's a perception that's too high, that's bad. If it's easy to get stuff, actually with the high print runs, it's still hard to get the cards. If that ever flips, that's what happened in the 90s. They kept raising the prices and their sales didn't go down. Their st- sales stayed the same, but they were losing customers. After five or 10 years of successively losing customers and trying to make it up with higher price points, a couple of companies could not sustain that. That's why some of those inserts from the late 90s are really tough to get because they were tough then and they're impossible now too. And those companies went out of business.